2 Samuel 5 says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And when David uh, said on that day, whoever climbs by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who were hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame cannot come into this house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David and built all around from the millow and inward. So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David in cedar trees, carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. Verse 12 is what drew my attention in this morning's study. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. And Father, we humbly ask as we open the scripture for these moments together that by your spirit, you would speak through what you have spoken here in your written word and that we might receive what it is that's on your heart for us this morning as a group of men. So bless this time and speak to us, Lord. We ask together expectantly in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. You know, this section here that I read to you this morning of David's life and experiences, I think really emphasizes if one main point, and that is this, yielding to and embracing God's best. Yielding to and embracing God's best. Knowing God is good in all of his ways. Knowing God is a loving father who only wants the best for his children like any good father would. Knowing God's a God of all knowledge, which means God knows everything about everyone. He knows everything about each and every, or knows everything about each and every situation. He knows even the future, what tomorrow holds, next week, months from now, a year from now, if the Lord tarries. And he even acts with that knowledge in accordance for our best because he knows what's ahead in ways that we even don't. And knowing God has great wisdom and he understands what's best in how to handle situations and the best way to orchestrate things. Sometimes we even recognize, as the scripture says, that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And in his wisdom, he acts accordingly even when we don't understand. Just some of those things alone, and I'm not being extensive here, just some of those things I just mentioned, not to mention all the other great things we could say about God and his nature, should make us 
if we're thinking correctly, desire God's best and God's highest ideal, knowing that he knows what's best. And we would want to embrace God's best. Yet the reality is, oftentimes in our own human foolishness, in our own pride and arrogance sometimes, other times it's because of our own selfishness, we actually resist God's will for our lives. We resist God's best and God's highest ideal only to find what? It just makes our life experiences worse. (laughs) It never works out better, and it certainly never works out best when we reject God's best. Sometimes I have found in my own life, in the lives of others I've walked with uh, in the Lord over the years, that we sometimes, it seems, almost go through a process in order for us to finally yield and to finally embrace what is God's best. It's almost as if sometimes that's a journey that people have to take, a process to finally come to the place where we yield and we accept God's best and we realize it and we embrace it for ourselves. 2 Samuel chapter 5 records for us this wonderful time when after a season of fleshly struggle with resisting what God's will was and what God's plan was, which was, we know, as we've been looking at all this together, and we have references again today here, God's best was to embrace the rulership of David, right? He was the rightful king. He was the chosen king. He was the best individual. God had said to David very clearly that he himself was the one to shepherd his people Israel. We read that in verse 2. The Lord said to him, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over them. That was God's choice. That was God's best in his knowledge and his wisdom and his love for his people. And for a season, the people of God struggled with embracing that. They resisted it. They took other options. It finally in our chapter here becomes evident what God's best is to everyone. And now we go from partial submission to full submission, right? We read in our verses here for a period of seven and a half years, only one small portion of God's people embraced David as king. Saul's now died. He's not even around anymore. And it was a seven and a half year process until ultimately everyone realized, what are we doing? And in the last 33 years of David's reign, Everyone realized God's best, and it was a full embracing of of God's plan. Remember, historically, what led to the culmination of this, God always wanted for Israel to be, we would say, a theocracy, which means that they were ruled by God, that they ultimately realized God should rule over us, God is king, and we should all submit ourselves to the rulership of God. Now, in the midst of a theocracy, yes, would God use human leaders? He used, at times, prophets and judges and others, shepherds, people like Moses. God used human beings as instruments who were, in a sense, to be the servants of the Lord who listened to what God was saying and then led the people accordingly, who would hear what God was saying and then would speak for God accordingly who would know how God wanted his people served and cared for, and they would be the human instrument the king would be or the leader to minister his people. Now, sadly, we know the history of Israel. What did they do? They wanted to be like everyone else out there in the world. And they said, we want a king like all the other nations have. What did they want? They wanted the patterns of this world 
instead of God's design and God's best, right? So we want a king like all the other nations. So they didn't technically want God's best. They wanted their idea. They wanted a worldly idea, a worldly pattern. And as a result, remember, they end up with King Saul, who was very impressive like all the other kings. He was gifted, very gifted, talented, someone who had a lot to bring to the table as far as human attributes, but Saul lacked the most important thing, which was depth of character. Saul did not have character that went along with all of his great capability. And his deficiency in character is what made him a very dysfunctional leader. He was very impressive, but he lacked a healthy relationship with God. He did not listen to God himself. He pretended to listen to God on occasion, but he wasn't submitted to God. He had a strong pride issue within the root of his heart, and his rulership over the people was not God's best. And ultimately, remember, God rejects Saul. Through a process, God begins to work to remove Saul, and that was when God said, listen, how about you let me pick for you? I know what's best, and that was when God then determined to select, we know, David as the next king over Israel, and David received that calling when he was around 15 years old, then spent about 15 years, remember, as God was taking him through a process in the wilderness, preparing his character and preparing him to be the shepherd-hearted king that God wanted to lead his people as his best for them. And at 30 years old, a small portion embraced David now as the king of Israel. When Saul finally died, we saw in our last time together, they embrace David. They now take David as their leader. They recognize he's God's selected king. But for seven and a half years, only a small remnant embraced David as the king. That's what our verses are telling us here this morning. It says that David, verse 5, in Hebron, he reigned seven years and six months in the southern area. But in Jerusalem, which becomes the capital city of the whole nation, he then reigned for 33 years. I have this underlined over all Israel. So it took a seven and a half year process of wrestling for the people to realize God's best and to actually finally submit to it. <laughs> And to embrace it, hey, this is God's best. Why have we been resisting it? What have we been doing for these last seven and a half years? So notice with me over in verse 3, it tells us there that the elders of Israel came to David there at Hebron and to King David, and he made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they now anoint David king over Israel. So all those who were resisting God's best, they now come and, and they embrace David as their leader. And we're told that the reason why they do this, verse 2, the verse prior to that, that was also in time past, they say, when Saul was king over us, they say, verse 2, David, you were the one who actually led Israel and brought them in. And the Lord had said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel. So in essence, as they come to embrace David as their king now, those who had been resisting him, they say, you know, we've come to realize something. Saul has always had the position, and he had the title, and we thought that he had what was necessary, but David, we realized that without the title and without the position, you actually had the heart of a shepherd, 
And you actually were the one who was following the Lord's leading, and you've been the one leading us out to battle and guiding us and shepherding us. And they realized David, without any title, was actually caring for them and serving for them and leading them in a way that God wanted them to be loved and helped. And look, they're coming to this realization that God loves people, and the fruit of God's love for people always results in people being helped when God is at work. Now, I bring that to your attention to say this to you. One of the best ways you can discern in your life what is God's best, here's a way you can always kind of zero in on that. If you want to discern what God's best is, knowing the heart of God, one of the best ways you can ask a question towards that is, what would help people most? Because God loves people. God's a good king He's a good shepherd over his flock. And one of the clearest ways I can discern and you can recognize, I wonder what God's best would be in this situation. Ask this question, what would help people most? Not what would help you most, not what would help your agenda most, not what would help your idea most. What would help people most? That's one of the clearest ways. And the people, as they came to the realization, they realize that's why David is God's best. He's what would help everyone the most. And they realize that was an indication that was the heart of God and the hand of God involved. Now, as we look at verses three to five there, we see the transition and happening as they come to David, they embrace him. Now all the nation of Israel embraces him and he now begins to reign over the last 33 years over all of Israel. So our chapter records this transition from partially embracing David's rulership as God's best to now you might say to the full embracing or full yielding to David's rulership. For a time period, he only ruled over some areas of Israel. And now at this point going forward, a transition happens and there's surrender and submission to let David now rule over all. And I look at this and I think this is a very fitting picture of a process that, as I said, happens in a believer's life in relating to Jesus, the one greater than David, the son of David, who intends to be king and ruler over all of our lives. This becomes a very fitting picture because sometimes, just like these events here with embracing David's rulership as king over them, sometimes initially, in our lives, Jesus is given rulership over some areas of our lives. And, and, and we let Jesus rule and reign over part of our life or some aspects of our life or some areas of our life. But then what can tend to happen is this wonderful process, honestly, where in due time, we start to recognize, why am I just giving Jesus partial rulership? Why am I not fully embracing the rulership of Jesus why is he not ruling over all of my life? And we start to recognize realities about the Lord and his goodness, and we realize things about ourselves and us being in control of certain areas of our life, or maybe other influences ruling over our life, the world or our sinful flesh or the devil. And, and we, we find ourselves ultimately after that process and struggle kind of resulting in this decision where a transition happens and we decide, you know what? Jesus needs to be in control of everything in my life. 
this is ridiculous. <laughs> Why am I just letting the Lord have partial rulership over my life and trying to stay in control of certain things myself? Why am I kind of resisting the Lord's best, which is yielding to Jesus as king in the fullest way possible and enthroning him in my heart to the greatest degree? I need Jesus to rule over everything. And that's one of the wisest decisions any believer can make if we've been struggling through that process is to come to that transition. Now, as there's no longer a partial rule of David, but now the full yielding to his rulership, as King David becomes more great and he becomes more important to the people and they fully embrace his leadership and he's doing more for them, notice in verse 12 that as that's happening and David's growing now, his rulership is beginning to flourish, God is blessing what his plan and purpose is. Look at verse 12. It says, and David himself came to this recognition. He knew the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom, look at this last phrase, for the sake of who? Not David. For the sake of his people, Israel. The Lord did all this, David realized. The Lord did all this for the sake of his people for the sake of those that he loves and he always wants what's best for. When you look up the phrase for the sake of, it refers to for the purpose of, for the interests of, so we might say for the interests of his people, for, for the purposes of his people. It also can be translated out of consideration for his people's best in order to bring to pass and to help his people to the greatest degree doing something for the welfare of someone else in mind. That's what it means to do something for the sake of others. And this was the mindset in the heart of God. And David realized God is orchestrating his will in this situation for one reason, because God wants what's best for his people. He loves his people. And David realized all this that's happened in my life this has nothing to do with me. David says that he came to the recognition. He knew that the Lord had established him finally now as king over Israel and even had exalted. My translation has his capitalized referring to God's kingdom. That the God necessarily hadn't exalted David's kingdom. God had exalted his kingdom because David's kingdom was really about God's kingdom. That was the bigger issue. That the Lord had even exalted his kingdom and it was all because of God's heart for the sake of of his people that he wanted what was best for. And he realized God is doing all this with the best interests of the people in mind. That's why God is accomplishing this. That's why God has done this. In his love and wisdom, he's always working for the sake of his people's welfare to expand his kingdom. And again, let me say, David here is a fitting picture, I think, as a king, as the son of David, of the greatest king, which is Jesus. And we might very well apply for our own lives in a spiritual sense this reality that Jesus being established in our life, letting Jesus be ruler over all of our life and not holding back any area of our life from the Lord, not resisting the Lord's control over any area of our life, realizing that just like the situation with David, that is actually what's in our best interest. It's actually for our sake, the absolute best thing that God would say to us, listen, stop trying to be in control of your life. 
this thing that you're letting be in control of your life, this wrong habit, this sinful behavior, this thing that you're letting it still rule you. And you're not letting me be in control of that area of your life. You're letting that be in control of that area of life that the Lord is saying, don't you realize it's for your sake? It's not because God wants to have a power trip that he's saying, don't you realize it's for your sake, for your welfare, for your best, to let me be in control, to let my son have full rulership and to give full control? Look, I realize sometimes I said this is a process for all of us where maybe we let the Lord be in control of some areas, but then sometimes it's almost as if we struggle to let go of full control and let Jesus just be in control of everything, and that's a process, but my encouragement is make it be as short of a process as possible. Make it a short process. It may be a challenge. It may be a process, but let that transition happen sooner rather than later. Jesus being in control makes everything much better for our welfare and, honestly, for everyone's welfare that's connected to us as well. Let me leave you with one other thought, guys, and then I want to allow you to pray together for a few minutes, pray this through at your tables. Let me also say this in connection to this. Like David here, just as a man, any opportunity that God gives you, that God gives me, any opportunity that God gives to us, and any way that God, like David as a vessel and a servant, any way God does anything through us, any opportunity God gives to you, and anything that God does through you, always, always, always remember it is for the sake of others. It in no way is for advancement of yourself. And don't ever fall into that trap. If God gives you an opportunity, if God's doing something through you, if God's using you, always remember it's for the welfare and the sake of other people. Not for your power trip, not for your glory, not for you to get weird and to get odd. The reason why you're a husband to your wife is because God wants what's best for her welfare. And that's why God wants you to be a spiritual leader, so that you can do what's best for her, so that you can do what's best for leading your children. Very, very important. David was able to retain that humble attitude, and because of it, God did great things through his life. Why don't we do this, guys? Right where you're sitting at, why don't you take a few minutes and and just pray through some of these things, and then I'll come back up and close us in prayer out loud uh, in a moment here, and we'll dismiss.